Well, good morning again, and uh, welcome. I hope you're all doing well this morning. As I mentioned, Christmas is coming. It's, it's almost here. We're only a couple of days away. And if your past week has been anything like mine, you've been doing that final scramble to finalize plans and get everything ready to wrap gifts. Um, and I don't know if it's been a scramble for you. You're probably all much more uh, prepared than, than I am. Uh, let's, let's do a test. Let's see a show of hands. Who is completely ready for Christmas? Like all the gifts are packed Everything is bought. Everything is ready. The food is in the fridge. We got a few. Wow. All right. So how many of you are not quite there yet? We got, all right, there we go. So we are, we are in good company, and we have a lot to learn from this section over here, it looks like. Um, this time of year, we spend a lot of time making plans for the holidays. We spend a lot of time getting all the details ironed out. But sometimes, amidst all the purchasing of presents, we find ourselves not really able to be present. Isn't that true? In the midst of the the big flurry of all the things, it's so hard to actually know how we're doing in it. And so, if, if you feel that at all, I invite you to just take a deep breath. Just right now, just take a deep breath with me. Now, as we do that, I want to show you a a huge difference between two very similar questions. The questions only have one word different. Question number one, what are you doing for Christmas? And I'm sure many of you have asked that question already this morning. You've probably answered that question already this morning. Uh, We've been busy making plans, right? So what are you doing for Christmas? You probably know. But here's the second question. How are you doing for Christmas? That question takes a little bit more thought. It takes that deep breath to be able to answer. You see, we spend so much time planning for and figuring out that first one that we can easily lose track of the second. So, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're headed. Uh, If you have a Bible with you or one nearby, you can open up there. We'll also have it on the screen for us while we read it through. These past few weeks, we've been in a series called Songs of the Season. And we've been looking at all of these songs that appear through the first few chapters of Luke. After a visit from an angel, Mary bursts out into song. After the birth of his son and a long silence, Zechariah bursts out into song. And today, after the long wait, and not just the long wait that Mary has been waiting, but the long wait that the prophets had been waiting for hundreds of years, after the long wait, we're going to see that Christ is born. And the whole host of heaven burst out into song. Luke continues to be a musical, and as we look at the angel's song today, that song will say something about what happens on Christmas, but ultimately, I think their song is about how things will be because of Christmas, not just the what, but the how. So let's read that together, the song of the angels 
in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. And Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard and that had been told to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story and for these songs of this season when we celebrate you and your coming. God, I pray that as we consider this scripture and we consider your story this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as we just read, we see the angels announce what is going to happen on Christmas. The Savior is born and found lying in a manger. But when all the hosts of heaven arrive, their song is about how things will be because of Christmas. How things will be because this Savior is born. Their song is about how things are in heaven and on earth. Did you hear it? They sing, glory to God in the heavens and peace to people on the earth. And so this morning, as we reflect on their song, the song of heaven and earth, I want to consider the, the long history of heaven and earth together. Because that is what this song rises out of. 
This is the song that the angels sing because they have witnessed that history from its beginning. But before we get to that history of heaven and earth, we need to consider for a moment how it is that we think about heaven and earth. Uh, This week, I was looking and reading, Bible scholar N.T. Wright says that there are basically three ways of, of viewing and understanding the relationship between the heavens and the earth. And so option one, as he calls it, is to slide the two spaces together. So the two places are essentially one and the same. Heaven and earth are completely collapsed into one another. And I think we see this in groups that would say that everything that happens is God's will or God trying to teach me something. Think of Job's friends who assume that Job's suffering is some kind of divine retribution, right? Or you also see this kind of view in modern-day kind of spiritual but not religious movements that basically see everything as God and all paths leading to God. And so in this first view, you have determinism that says everything is God's will, and you have pantheism, which says that everything is God. And both of these essentially see heaven and earth as essentially the same thing. So that's option one. Option two is exactly the opposite. He says this option holds heaven and earth firmly apart, that heaven does not interact with earth and earth does not interact with heaven. And I think you also see this one both in Christian groups and non-Christian groups. In Christian circles, this is the kind of people who see, who see heaven only as a place where you go after you die. Heaven is just something that's out there later on. And until then, there's no real interaction with God. No real spiritual fervor. Maybe you have some kind of strict religious checklist that you follow, um, but it's usually devoid of, of any real spiritual life. And then outside of Christianity, these folks are just people who simply don't believe in God. And in their mind, heaven and earth don't interact because there's no heaven to interact with. And so in this second option, you have deism, right, that believes in God but doesn't really ever interact with God. And you also have atheism, which just doesn't believe in God. And both of these see heaven and earth as essentially separate, essentially separate things. And so option one and option two, right, these are both really clean and simple, these these sort of either-or dichotomies. But they begin to run into problems whenever life becomes any amount of complicated. Because the first option that would conflate heaven and earth, where heaven is everything and everywhere, saying that everything is God's will and so on, that doesn't really do justice, like we said, to the reality of suffering and evil. Right? Just like Job. And the second option that holds heaven and earth completely apart, where heaven is either somewhere else or non-existent, can't really make sense of spiritual practices, or the experience of beauty and awe. These little moments when we taste heaven, right? And so each of these options, I think, get a little bit right and a little bit wrong. Because the first is right to say that heaven and earth, I think, were meant to be one. But it's wrong in saying that they are one. 
And the second is right to say that heaven and earth have a divide between them, but wrong to say that that divide is complete and total. So, going back to N.T. Wright, he argues for option three, a third option in which heaven and earth are neither the same nor separate, but rather exist, he says, like a complex puzzle that overlaps and interlocks in different ways. They're woven together so that life is a mix of earth and heaven. And I think in this sense, heaven and earth are like two different characters in a story who are sometimes together, sometimes apart, and sometimes chasing after one another. And I think this view makes the most sense of our experience that's a mingled mix of both beauty and pain, both the presence and the absence of God. And I think this story of heaven and earth chasing after one another is the story that we see unfold in our scriptures. And I think that that's the story that the angels are singing about. That's the story that the angel's song of heaven and earth rises from. So with this view in mind, this option three, I want to kind of take a quick tour of the history, the story, the rich drama of heaven and earth together. And it is a long story. It goes back to the very beginning when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, heaven and earth lived in perfect harmony with one another. Like a woven tapestry, heaven and earth are knit together. And we have the story of Adam and Eve who lived a peaceful and joy-filled life in the garden, and God walked in the garden there with them. But we know how it goes. The deceiver came in the form of a servant and led humanity astray, and sin separated Adam from Eve and both of them from God, and because of this, life became a mix of beauty and pain. The ground would bring forth thorns along with fruit. Childbirth would bring forth life along with pain. The tapestry of heaven and earth was torn, leaving frayed edges and a fraught humanity. But God didn't give up, right? He seeks to mend that tear. And so he pursues his people, and you have the story of Abraham, right? Through whom God promises to bless the world. Abraham has a son, Isaac, who then has another son named Jacob. And do you remember the dream that Jacob had? Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, God gives Jacob a vision. And he dreams of a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reaching into the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. His dream is about the restoration of heaven and earth, about mending the terror between them. And so God blesses Jacob, and he has 12 sons who eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel, and they become a great people, bringing blessing to the land of the Egyptians. God begins to make good on his promise to bless the world through Abraham. 
But heaven and earth are not yet mended. They become enslaved by the Egyptians. And this suffering of one people group at the hand of another is a mark of the continued broken relationship between heaven and earth. And that is a mark that is still upon us. May God be gracious. And God is gracious, right? So the story of Israel, they cry out to God amidst their enslavement, and God hears them. And he raises up Moses to lead them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, toward a promised land. And at Mount Sinai, the people make covenant with God. Moses receives instructions to make a tabernacle, which is basically a portable temple that the people can bring with them through the wilderness. It's like camping with God in a tent. And to the end of the book of Exodus, they finish building the tabernacle, and it says that a cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And you catch that? It's called the tent of meeting, because this tent becomes a meeting place for heaven and earth where the two can be together again. The glory of the Lord fills it, and the people walk through the wilderness with God. It's just that much closer to the days when humanity walked in the garden with God. But heaven and earth are not yet mended. The people forget God, they lose their trust in him, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But after that time, they do eventually make it to the promised land. And after dwelling there for a few more generations, one of their kings, King Solomon, the son of David, takes up a project of building a temple, a permanent structure to replace that portable tabernacle. And we read about this in 1 Kings. And at the dedication of the temple, Solomon prays to God. And his prayer is, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. And he asks God, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. This is a prayer that heaven and earth might be brought together again in a permanent way through the temple this permanent structure. And once again, God comes to dwell with his people there. But heaven and earth are not yet mended because King Solomon is led astray just like others before him. And so are the other kings who come after him. And this leads us to the era of the prophets. And the prophets are deeply concerned with the heavens and the earth. And I'd love to talk about the many places throughout the prophets, but for the sake of time, let's just consider Isaiah right now. His book opens with these words. He says, Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth. The Lord has spoken. His words are meant to address that divide between heaven and earth. And then in chapter 8, Isaiah looks out to the earth. He says that people will look to the earth, but will see only distress and darkness. 
the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But he also has a vision of heaven. In chapter 6, Isaiah shares this vision, and you'll recognize our angel singers on the scene again. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance before him, each had six wings. And so look at that stark difference. He looks out onto the earth and he sees darkness and distress. And then he looks into the heavens and he sees these angelic beings before God and the glory of of the Lord filling the temple. But this is what's surprising because those angelic beings before God are singing a song. And the song that they sing is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So even though earth may be filled with darkness, the songs of the heavens have not given up hope that the glory of God might still dwell there. The angels continue to sing, the earth is full of his glory. And that, I believe, is why Isaiah also prophesied, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. That's why he can speak what we read earlier this morning in the service. You see, he opens with, hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth. But then at the end of Isaiah, he speaks for God who says, I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. So Isaiah and the rest of the prophets don't give up hope. They announce that God is still at work mending heaven and earth. And it's prophecies like this one that First Peter 1 verse 12 calls things into which angels long to look. So this great story of heaven and earth, this is it. From Eden's garden to Jacob's dream, from wilderness tabernacle to Jerusalem temple, from prophetic visions of destruction and darkness to new creation and light. The great drama of heaven and earth. And the angels have watched this whole thing unfold across the ages, often helping God as they were sent and always longing for things to finally be mended and put right. So at the birth of this baby in Bethlehem, the angels finally let loose. And for a moment, that eternal song of praise that we heard in the throne room overflows into a field outside of Bethlehem. And they sing, glory to God in the heavens and peace to people on earth. And they burst forth in song because what has happened on this night in this town of Bethlehem is altogether different and altogether new from the things that have happened in the past. This is not a dream like Jacob. This isn't a temporary tent in the wilderness. This is not a building 
that can be invaded and corrupted and torn down. This is God himself in the flesh coming to earth. God, again, walking with his people. God coming to set everything right, to finally mend the divide. Emmanuel, God with us. And the angels have been longing for this moment. And something struck me as I was looking at our passage this week. You see, the angels do quite a lot in these first few chapters of Luke, right? The angel visited Mary, the angel visited Zechariah, so on and so forth. The angels show up again here. But there's something different about this particular scene. Because in the first chapter, we see that the angel went to Zechariah because he was sent by God. And again, with Mary, we see that he goes to visit Mary because he was sent by God. But in this passage, there's no mention of being sent by God. The angels appear to the shepherds of their own accord, unbidden by God, out of the sheer excitement of what has happened, of what is happening. They had seen the curse come upon the earth, right? They saw thorns take root in fields and pain erupt from childbearing. But now they appear to shepherds in a field to announce the birth that will end all pain and uproot all thorns. And this is why we sing, no more let sin and sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. They appear to announce that heaven and earth are being mended at last. They announce the birth of the one who will proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the birth of the one who teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the one of whom the apostle Paul would write, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This new little temple that is being born on this day cannot be torn down, and when it is torn down, it will build up the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says. He says, tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it. And he builds the kingdom of God in his resurrection. The angels come to announce this reconciliation. And what does it look like? It looks like glory, and it looks like peace. Glory to God in heaven, and peace to people on the earth. Glory and peace means restoration with God, restoration with one another, and I believe restoration also within our own self. And so back to that question, 
Not just what are you doing for Christmas, but how are you doing for Christmas? Amidst all the plans and all the presents, I hope that you can revel in the glory of God's plan and the peace of his presence. I hope that you can sense the nearness of heaven that we celebrate as we remember Christ's own coming. And I hope that you can sense the presence of God as you become more present to yourself and more present to those around you. And so today, like I often do, I want to leave you with just a simple practice for this week. This is a practice, I believe, of peace and glory. And I think it's a practice that will help us to be more present. And it's simply that deep breath that we began with. So go ahead, take another deep breath right now. As you breathe in, may it be a breath of peace that God brings. And as you breathe back out, may it be like letting forth the praise of his glory in with his peace and out with his glory, just like the angels and the shepherds. My prayer is that throughout this week, in all that you do, in the chaos and the wonder of it, may every breath you take Join with the song of the angels. Glory to God in heaven and peace to people on the earth. Amen.